navy blue Victoria. As he uses his feet and goes again through mid-wicket. That's an even better shot from the Victorian captain. Swept away very nicely by Nicole Bottom for four. Oh, he's re-given! That is 50. The man from Northcote. Okay, you've retired from international cricket. Yes. You did it about two weeks ago. You're still comfortable with the decision? Very comfortable. Yeah, it's... it's uh, obviously, it's a difficult decision to walk away from international cricket, but I think it was the right one uh, for me personally, for my family, uh, but also for the team. I think the team's in a really good spot in the one day in T20 space, uh, and they've got a great opportunity, I think, to take that forward over the next couple of years. And I couldn't see myself getting through to the 2024 T20 World Cup uh, just physically, cricket-wise, I think the young players are—they're becoming so good that um, I, I couldn't see myself getting getting that far. So I, I felt as though it would be a, a hindrance to continue, and it'd be very selfish for me to continue uh, if I if I did that. It would just wouldn't give the team enough time to be able to build into the next World Cup uh, in 2024. I think because that's got not a huge amount of cricket in mm. in. Like there's the next game I think is in August mm. uh, in South Africa. So that's not a real long time for a new captain to take over the team, uh, shape the team the way that they want to do it and then um, be in a really good strong space to have a real crack at that T20 World Cup. So um, that that part of the decision was really easy but the change rooms and, and travelling with the boys, that's the difficult thing to walk away from. So of all the people that wish you the best upon the retirement, you got so much... Uh, so many well wishes from all over the place. Was there anyone that surprised you, or or was there a moment? Oh, geez, you know that's that's pretty special. I'm pretty, uh, pretty happy with that. I got a lot of of really nice messages uh, from a lot of people. Uh, my my phone went went crazy for a couple of days, and I I tried my best. I think I did uh, reply to everyone individually. Um, but the one that the one that got me was Davy Warner when he it was quite. Um, is quite soft and, and and he does have an emotional side, but uh, it was a really nice message uh, about about our careers together and, and my career and impact on Australian cricket. So that was that was a really special one actually because it, it generally comes from the people that you least expect it to be, um, I guess, emotional and touching. But but that was a really cool one. We'll get to that shortly because a lot of people don't realise how far you actually go back, you and Davey. It's not just mm. your Australian experiences in, in recent years. So I'll, I'll get to that. But I want to go all the way back. When when Can you remember first hitting a cricket ball? Can you remember yes. backyard and, and who was influencing you from, from yeah. playing other sports that, that cricket was the one? So I I remember my first ever memory of cricket is, is my nan and pop's backyard and my pop used to uh, have a bat and – it was an old, like, tiny bat, but he used to be able to hit the ball up on the edge of the bat and that just blew my mind that <laughs> I was like, you are the best player ever. And he, he didn't really play much cricket either, but he loved cricket, loved all sports and was a huge influence on me. But that was my first ever time I was like, that blew my mind that, that he could do that. So I remember just practising for days and days until I could do it like two or three times and then I'd rush back to Nan and Pops and try and do it and show him that I could do it. And um, and then my brother, we lived just out of Colac, 10 minutes sort of Melbourne side of Colac, a sm- very small town called Irrawarra. And we had a three-acre block and the house was set back a bit. So we had quite a bit of paddock at the back uh, and then at the front was was a decent-sized yard. So my brother and I used to roll up a wicket, but it was all a clay-based surface. So you could, you could wet it. 
like flood it with water, roll it, and it'd yeah. be nice. But out there, there wasn't a huge amount of rain <laughs> for a lot of the time, yeah. so the cracks would open up, and it'd just become an absolute minefield. And but playing out there with my brother was he older or younger? Three years older. Yeah. Uh, so my oldest brother didn't play cricket or anything. He played a bit of tennis, uh, but he was more of an academic. And then my second brother, Jason, uh, he was he was a very good cricketer, good footy player. Um, I was never allowed bat first, so I'd bowl for hours and hours and then I'd eventually get him out and he'd just walk inside and say, I'm not playing anymore. So then I'd, I'd eventually run inside uh, crying to mum and say, he doesn't want to bowl to me. <laughs> um, he said, well, don't play with him. I said, but I want to play. <laughs> uh, and then he'd, he'd come out, knock me over first up and then that'd be it. So I spent a lot of hours grinding out my left arm nothings uh, in the front yard. But uh, that, that was a really cool upbringing. I had, I had a great childhood in that regard in terms of uh, a really tight family. Uh, being in the country, I think you get a great uh, community aspect to footy and cricket. Um, footy and netball clubs are a huge part of, of local, local communities in in country towns uh, and then in the summer cricket clubs as well. So I spent most of my junior life uh, around footy and cricket clubs. It's a, it, it's a real advantage, I reckon, being in the country yeah, from all the stories that we've heard and, and just, you know, growing up, you know, because it's such a big part of the community. But then the disadvantage is if you're any good, you've mm. got to leave that country town. Yep. Um, and even just to travel, to play mm. representative cricket, these sorts of things. So when when did that start to happen for you? Because it, it, I think it happened pretty young, didn't it? Yeah, so I, I may... I, in Colac, we didn't have an under-14s or anything at that stage. So it was under-17s and then straight into seniors. Right. So it, it may be like 10 or 11 I was playing in the under-17s in, in my brother's side and he never wanted me to play in his team. So I'd always pack a, a set of whites and put them under dad's um, – he used to have a big picnic rug in the back of his car. I used to hide them under there and if someone didn't turn up, I'd chuck them on and there I was. And I remember running fine leg to fine leg but loved every bit of it. Um, and then – because there was no under like twelves or anything like that, I never got invited to try uh, to try out for the Victorian primary school side, and, yep. and it was a very late notice that they said, "Oh," and I was I was a decent young player, and they said, "Oh, he's actually still in primary school, so um, go and try out." And I, and I made the Victorian under twelves team, the primary schools team, uh, with another young kid from Colac, Justin Knowles. His name was he. He played in the junior cricket and footy team so he was, he was a, a good all-round sportsman and then so both of our families shared the load in, in traveling up and down to all the practices and things like that and um that was really cool the to play in the victorian side batting i think i batted about number nine or ten <laughs> back then and and was the the wicket keeper but the sec like the, they said oh you can share the share the role with tom stray yeah. played a bit for victoria yeah. a bit for south australia uh, he was the he was the main wicket keeper, and it was in Darwin. It was I remember it was so hot. Um, my first time away from home, Dad come up with me, and we got billeted out, and yep. I had a little bit of a meltdown. It was the first time I'd been away from my family, um, so I had a little bit of a meltdown as an eleven year old up there, and um, yeah, batting at nine or ten, and then one it was the last game. Oh, so Tom Stray, he first game we're playing South Australia, and there's a young kid. Um, called James James Hardy. James Hardy? Oh, I forget his name. Half James Harford. He was a gun. Like <laughs> underage cricketer, he was a gun. And and Adam Carey, Alex's older brother. Right, okay. So so they were guns for South Australia all through the junior cricket. Um, and I remember watching him bat and I was like, 
this is mind blowing again. Like these guys are so good. And I got to 25 overs and I said, Tom, can I keep now? He said, no. So I was like, all right, well, better work on my batting a bit more. And um, so that was the first time. But that, that was a great experience. Uh, I think they put me up the order in the last game against Northern Territory. I got 20-something and uh, that was it. So yeah, On it was, your way? Oh, not really. I was, I was still – you go back and you think, geez, I've, I've missed my chance to be a cricketer because at that age, at 11 years old, performing is absolutely everything. Every game is the end of your life, the end of your career. So, um, But a really cool learning learning curve. So from that, often when you are in that initial squad, at least people start to know who you are and it, it can potentially help in, in other squads as you yep. sort of move along. What happened from that juncture when you leave primary school? Did, did, did that continue? Did you start to uh, you know, you continued in those sort of representative yeah, squads? Yeah, so I was, play, I was playing senior cricket in Colac at that stage, like at 12 or 13. So, That's amazing. Um, that which, which was really a great learning curve. Yeah. And then... Because I was a part of the Victorian under-12s team, then I played for Caulfield in the Hatch, ah, Hatch yes, Shield yep. for a couple of years, which I'm sure that if I wasn't in that side, I wouldn't have got recognised just playing country cricket in Colac. So I got the opportunity to play, I think it was two years for Caulfield in the in the Hatch Shield, which was brilliant. Uh, and then it was Dowling Shield for Geelong. I can't remember if I played two or three years, but I was quite young when I started. Um, had a great tournament there made the under I can't remember yeah there was an under Victorian under 15 side so I played two years of Victorian under 15s captain the second year uh, we won the national championship in Bendigo uh, then two years of Vic under 17s three years of Vic under 19s Australian under 19s so that was that was I, I actually followed the pathway I think except Mitchell Shield which I'm not sure if that's still around now the under 12s sort of regional the the Melbourne competition, I think I've followed the pathway every step of the way, which is yeah. which is really cool. And and a lot of times guys come develop at different ages and they come in a little bit later or they start really early and they fade out. So yeah, yeah I'm really proud of that. Definitely, definitely. Mm. So were you always the hard hitting batsman? Were you a big kid compared to everybody else, or did you? I was wider. <laughs> I, was, I was a lot wider than everyone else. I'm not sure about about bigger. Did you, so the, you know, the hard-hitting thing, was that something that was there or did it develop yeah, was, as you went along? I was always someone who fancied hitting it in the air yeah. uh, from a young age. So I think having probably a little bit more power than most players being, again, I think it's playing adult cricket when you're young. Yes. I think you, you learn how to how to play differently and you learn how to improve quick. Otherwise you get you get eaten up pretty quick. And, and the, even maybe mentally as well. Absolutely. You know, you're playing against men. adults but yeah. also against adults. Yeah, absolutely. You're playing against them and they didn't care if you're 12 or 50. They, they still treat you the yeah. same. And uh, that, that was a really good introduction to to men's cricket. And and doing it at such a young age, you, you develop – at a young age, you develop so quickly. So I think that had a huge influence on um, on – my development, and then I probably stalled a little bit when I was eighteen. But mm. but through them early years, I, I developed quite well. So um, yeah, it was it was good to go through all that pathway. But you also then get a little bit of a false sense of how good you can actually or you actually are because you're, you're used to being the best in your teams, yeah. and that that probably happened from a young age. And you you're the best two or three players in each team that you're playing, and then you get to professional cricket. And you're back down the bottom. Whereas as a young kid, for so long you've been sort of yeah. you're feeling like you're at the yeah. 
you're one of the better players. And so, so my development probably stalled a little bit because I, I probably wasn't wasn't used to that. So what what's it like gaining sort of you, you know your friends through that period where it can be pretty cutthroat? You're all trying to do well to get the next mm. you know in the next team and you know trying to get the best opportunity. Can you? Can you get a friendship group through that, or is it more when you go back home or go back to school that, that oh, they're your friends? No, well, you I'm definitely do. That environment. No, you definitely do. And I've never been somebody who's been jealous or envious of other people's success or anything. I, I think that's one of my my better yep. traits. I'm, I'm, when people do well, I'm I'm genuinely happy for them. So if that comes at your expense, that's that's for a reason because they've outperformed you. So you can't kick cans if that's the case. If if you perform, you you. Inevitably, if you keep performing and keep performing, you're going to get selected. Um, obviously, you can change age groups and stuff, and th- and that can be a real disappointment. But no, I, you can have friendship groups through that period, absolutely. And you you tend to go through the national system with the similar players. And I think, like you said, you'll touch on Davy Warner early, but that was four, when we were 14 years old when we first played against each other, and Moses Enriques and Uzi Kawaja. Uh, so these guys, you go you go through like a really long process with because you, you end up performing quite well. Who is in your under-19 Australian cohort? Did anyone go on like yourself? Yeah, I can name I can name the 15. <laughs> um, so it was Tom Cooper and Usman Khawaja opened the batting, Moses Enrique's three, Matty Wade four, myself five, Tom Stray six, Davey Warner seven, Slogged him and bowled a few leggies and was lippy. Um, Will Sheridan was in there. Yeah. Jackson Bird. Yeah. Ben Cutting. John Holland. Jack McNamara. Adam Richard. Swing bowler from the ACT. Who am I missing? Ben Cutting, did I say him? Yeah, yeah. It's a good squad. It's a good squad. Very good squad. Um and you've mentioned, you've mentioned then Warner, Wade, Holland, Kawaja, Kawaja, but yeah, you know, some of your best mates, and you've yeah, and, and that's from way back then. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's funny how that how it happens because I think you you've all got a similar interest, and at that age in particular, you've got cricket is for most people and most guys that is your only focus. I don't think well for me and Johnny Holland and guys like that. School wasn't a, a priority, Davy. Especially, <laughs> school wasn't a priority for us. We we love playing cricket, um, so that that becomes your your common common interest, and then yeah. things happen around that, and you and you all sort of develop it at different rates. But yeah, some great mates throughout that, and um, yeah, you look back on it, and I mean, when we're on Australian tours, you still talk about things that happened in in the under nineteen World Cup and players who you played against. I mean, Rohit Sharma and. Uh, Pujara and them guys were playing. Um, it was pretty cool. Yeah. So did what what came next? Was it the academy or Victoria? The rookie contract or rookie contract around that time? rookie contract, and then as a product. Uh, no, maybe it was. They were about the same time, so I reckon I might have got my first rookie contract. Yeah, my first rookie contract. Then went to the academy the following year. Uh, for the follow for the next two years, what was it like in the academy? Now I'm going to ask you: Were you a bad boy, or were you just a young man having fun? Uh, a young man having fun, and I think I loved the the first year of the academy. I loved that. That was 
that was a time when they were trying to make the center of excellence like a a finishing school as such so the guys that were there were George Bailey, Adam Voges, Callum Ferguson, Sean Tate. Uh, these type of guys, Adam Crossweight. Uh, these are all guys, Sean Marsh, were playing shield cricket week in and week out. Uh, but they were great young shield players. So they wanted to try and take them to the next level. And, and the coaches there were Tim Nielsen, who not long after that took over the Australian job, Jamie Siddons and Dean Hills, who were the batting coaches with the Australian team, Troy Cooley, bowling coach, Mike Young, fielding coach. So it was... It was a proper, proper um, coaching staff as well as players. And um, we're staying out at Griffith University, like in dorms, like single beds, four to a, four like tiny apartment cell blocks almost. Uh, but it was awesome. You jump in the car at 6 a.m. each morning, uh, you get into the to Allen Border Field, you do your training, you go home and you enjoy it and then you enjoy the weekends. And that, that was brilliant. I loved every bit of that. We trained so hard. Uh, fitness-wise on our games and everything. But I think the downside of that is when you're at the Cricket Academy, their job is, well, at the time was one, to make you better, which obviously everyone was getting better because you're, you're training outdoors, you're doing all the, the graft. But also like there was a, um emerging players tour at the end of that, which was Australia, India, South Africa, and New Zealand maybe, or maybe they came in the second year. So they were also getting you to peak for that tournament. But then that that's also in August with without a ball in shield cricket or club cricket or anything even, even being bowled. So you've been going, guys have been going all season, then have a couple of weeks off, go to the academy, and then you're training from start of May, uh, middle of April. So... Uh, wore me out really quick mentally uh, and probably physically a bit too because you're you're trying to peak for a tournament that in your mind again is the most important thing in the world to your cricket career at that time so then you, you just you sort of fall off a cliff a little bit just mentally physically you're just exhausted and you're also trying to be a young man. Absolutely. Yeah, just got your license. Which I did that pretty well. <laughs> I, I Could you do that? I mean, as I said, I said before, were you a bad boy or just having fun? Yeah, you had a couple of challenges along the way with the academy. But oh, that's – I can, or, I can or, tell you the story. Yeah, yeah tell, that's, that's tell rubbish. the story. That, well, yeah, we'll tell it. Well, first off, well, I had no money. So the boys at the academy who were on state contracts and stuff, they were like – they were the richest blokes I'd ever seen in my life because they had a steady income coming in. And I think I was – I got um, – 50 bucks a week from the academy because I was a rookie contracted player. So maybe I was rookie contracted at the time. Um, and my wage then was $200 a week from Craig Victoria uh, on a rookie contract, $10,000 a year, which gets paid monthly. And when you get paid monthly as a youngster and on that, when $800 goes in your account, you think, Jesus, how much cash have I got? This is unbelievable. And then three days in, if, if that fell on a Friday, you're in trouble because then you, then you have a, a good weekend out and then, you're scraping the barrel for the next three weeks. But um, oh, when I got kicked out as such as of the academy, what happened at the time was the second year I was there, we moved into these nice apartments uh, in Tenerife in Brisbane on, along the river and um, I was rooming with Phil Hughes and Luke Ronke and I was a smoker at the time and a couple of times, well, they, a couple of times they said, oh, there's cigarette butts in the pool. So anyway, ashtray sitting outside gets blown in the pool, whatever. 
apologise, all that. Then the next, um, oh, the last week of the of the camp or the the emerging players tour, Mark Cosgrove and Davey Warner they were upstairs. They they had an apartment upstairs, and everyone sort of congregated in their room. It was if anyone was having a beer or anything, they'd go to their room, and and the room got a bit untidy. So the guy from the who uh, managed the apartments, he was on a bit of a warpath, and a few of them boys. Oh, their room got a bit messy after the, they had a big party and I wasn't even there. So the next day, um, so we're on a ground floor apartment and for the first eight weeks of the academy that year, I didn't drink at all. I was like, right, I'm going to take it seriously, get fit. Um, didn't drink. And then after eight weeks I went out and we had a good night out and I come home and it must have been three o'clock in the morning or something and I've – I must have been out having a fag on the balcony and done a leak into the um, into the garden on the ground floor, like trees everywhere. You can't can't see a thing. And the hotel manager at the time, the apartment manager, brought that up and he said, "Someone pissed off the balcony." And I said, oh, "I remember Husey looking at me." And he goes, "That was you." So I went up and apologised. I said, "Yep, that that must have been me. I'm really sorry." He said, "Yep, no worries, all good." But then they took that to. Uh, the AIS, I think, at the time, who were running running the cricket academy, and they said that's not in line with our behaviour. So you're out. And again, that that's a time in your career when you think my career's over. Um, so it's really strange how how your mind works as yeah, a youngster. Yeah, definitely. So the balance between there's the academy, there's the Vic State rookie situation, and you get a chance to play for Victoria for the first time, having played all that representative cricket. Yeah. Then it gets serious. Mm. What was that moment like when you, you got told? Who told you? And um, and then who did you tell? If you can it's remember. A great question. Back. Who told me? Uh, I assume it was Shippy. I can only assume that. Um, but straight away, mum and dad, family, um, they were all pumped. There was a tour game against India here at the Junction Oval, and it was freezing cold. It was pissing down with rain. Most of the we only I think we played forty overs for the good memory for the game. Didn't uh, have a bat. Didn't bat. Took a catch, caught Wasim Jaffer at mid-on off Alan Wise. Um, I think Jason Backer gave me my cap. Um, Geelong legend as well. So that was that was really cool. Um, I mean, just because there were so many rain breaks. I mean, just sitting there talking to Sachin and these guys in the in the old Junction change rooms was was really cool. Uh, so that was that was my first class debut, and and you obviously understand at the time it's a tour game. It's not a it's not a shield game. A few guys were resting, so you, you still understand where you are in the pecking order. Um, but I think my club and my second eleven performances justified that spot being mine, um, and that I wasn't too far away from if something something happened or Hodgie or someone got called up that that I'd be a chance to play in the shield side. So when that when did that happen? Soon after? No, it was a little while after. I think it might have been twelve months after. Right. Okay. Uh, the tour game. And then the following year, Hodgie retired at Christmas. Um, and then I played the first Shield game after Christmas. Um, and then we won the Shield that year. So that was, I think, my first five games or six games were were mostly wins and, and the Shield title. You get straight into a really successful environment with, yep. you know, through that period. <laughs> Who were some of the players that really stood out for you that were sort of next level that you thought, gee, this is... 
this is what this is where I've got to get to. Oh, Huss at that because well, I, I didn't get to play shield cricket with Hodgie, um, which I, I'm spewing about because you talk to all the old boys now and you said, like, out of all the guys who are really stiff not to play a huge amount for Australia, when you talk about Hodge, Elliot, Martin Love, Jimmy Marr, all these guys, they, everyone says Hodgie was the best. So I'm spewing that I didn't get to play shield cricket with him. I got to play a lot of one day and T20 cricket with him and open the batting with him, and that that was that was so much fun. And and in that in the white ball space, he was he was unbelievable. He was so far and away better than anyone else. But Dave Hussey in shield cricket would, I mean, he'd get it, Nick off like dashing away to a cover drive, and Shippy would spray him as he's walking down the race. And then next next innings, he'd come out and do the same thing, but belt the crap out of an attack and before you know it, you look up and you go, geez, Hussle's on 40. How'd that happen? Um, and Whitey at that stage as well was someone who probably wasn't dominating as much as Whitey but he was consistent. Uh, he was playing for Australia at the time. Um, yeah, they, they were the two that probably stood out and then you had like the the grafters, Nick Jewell, um, who all had a really, really big role to play in that successful environment and, and then Andrew McDonald at six as well who – had a huge influence on my whole career, but um, yeah, Huss was probably the standout of of that time. Your leadership kind of came later, and you've become one of the great leaders of Australian cricket, yeah, Australian cricket history. Were, were you shaping your leadership then? Were you watching and observing, or did it all just kind of come natural to you? Well, as it went along? yeah, I, I I captained a lot of teams growing up, and, and obviously being in underage cricket, if you're a better player. You generally captain a little bit more, so all through the like Victorian under 15s, 17s, 19s, uh, I was vice captain of the Australian under 19s. Um, I don't think I. The one of the first things that Andrew McDonald ever told me, um, I was 16 years old, and we were sitting at a pub. Probably shouldn't say that bit either. We were sitting at a pub in Austria. We just got off a flight on a Crusaders trip, and he said to me, "Whatever you do." Do not get involved in cricket politics. And I said, what are you, cricket politics, what are you talking about? He said, it's a great attitude, keep it up. And I said, I said, no, but I don't understand what you mean. I said, the best players get picked, you go and play and that's it. He goes, as long as you think that's the case, always keep that attitude. So um, that, was, that was how I tackled most things is don't get involved in stuff that you can't control. Um, don't. Don't take yourself too seriously because the game is so hard. It is a brutal game for batters, bowlers, everyone. Um, treat everyone equally. Don't treat everyone the same but treat everyone equally. Um, have some fun along the way. If you can create a good environment, people will follow you. Um, and there's, there's definitely challenges to that as well. There's, there's times that I would have got it horribly wrong in the in the younger days but it's all a part of the journey. Isn't it extraordinary, even just talking to you now, realising what uh, an amazing foundation you had to your international career and, and your first-class career, you know, all that representative thing, things from all the way back to primary school, rookie contract, just absorbing mm. all this information. You mentioned the Crusaders, the ability to travel overseas, not just to the UK but to Europe. Yeah. So you're learning as a, a to be a, a better person as much yeah. as a better cricketer. These are all... And that's the great thing about the Crusaders yeah. that a lot of Victorian cricketers get that other states don't have the ability to have yeah. or the fortune well, to have. Well, the, the thing, it's an amazing foundation for you. It is because what it forces you to do, and I was really lucky. I went to England when I was maybe 18 
uh, and played a, a season of club cricket up in Yorkshire, which is tough. Uh, it wasn't the best standard of cricket that I could have played, but it was it was a great place to be. I lived in York, in the middle of York, which is an unbelievable town. Um, met some great people at Clifton Alliance, a club that I played at. Um, still close mates with with a few of them. But that was my first – I was already mo- living out of home. But that was my first time that mum and dad weren't just – I couldn't just jump in the car and go back and, and see mum and dad or um, go back to, to a really comfortable place around mates that, that you've known all your life. So You grow up quick. You grow up quick when you have to learn on the go, when you're overseas in an unfamiliar environment. But your cricket goes to a new level I think because – and this is what I encourage all the, the young – like I said to Jake – um, Fraser McGurk all the time. I say you've got to go to England because, and and this is no knock on him at all. But you still live at home. You still anything that you need, you can get somebody else to do. I said, but when you're overseas, you don't have that luxury. That you can call the the president of the cricket club that you're at, and he'll say, well, we, you're you're our pro. Yeah. Do your job. Yeah. So so when I went over there, my first day was I jumped off the plane at seven a.m. in um, Heathrow, hired a car. With my girlfriend at the time, um, drove straight up to York, like with maps, physical maps. Yeah. Got up there, played that afternoon, got seventy or so. So I'm I'm loving it. They're, they're loving me. They're like this Aussie's just off the plane. How good! <laughs> a few beers and away you go. And then the next three weeks I missed out, and I think it was my first. I got upgraded to a um, state contract towards the end of the Shield season. So I had a, a, enough income to get me through a couple of months. But then after three weeks I didn't get paid from the club. And I, I Bert, the old guy, who, who the money man at the club, and I said, Bert, I haven't been paid. And he said, well, you haven't made any runs. I said, okay, that's, that's how it's going to be. He said, well, you get runs, you get paid. We pay you to be a professional. Yeah. Do your job. So anyway, the next week I got 160 and got a month's pay <laughs> in, in, in one go. So... I think for, for young guys to learn how to be a professional in an unfamiliar environment is, is so important and that you learn so quick about your game, about yourself. Uh, you learn how to, how to interact with different people. Um, even though it's in England, they, they do things very different to what we do things here in Australia in life and in, in cricket. So, so you, just, you, you learn different skills and, and different ways to communicate with people and um, – that there is nothing bad that can come from it. It is such a great learning curve that everyone should should definitely try and do. So we've spoken to this point and it's fundamentally been red ball cricket and trying to get in the shield team yep. because that's what all young Victorians wanted to do, get in the shield team yep. and then play for Australia in test cricket. But you've become this dominant white ball player and you kind of already got yourself a reputation as a white ball player through your first two or three years and there's a – Game I remember at the MCG where you batted with Hasto and got you. I think it was against Tasmania. It was Eighty-seven not out. Chase. Yeah, that, first I, time we'd ever chased three hundred. Actually, yeah. yeah. And I felt that that was the night that you announced yourself as a Victorian player, a star Victorian player. That was probably the first time that I believed that I could. And and it happens at all levels. It happened at, at international level, but that was the first time that I believed that I could play. Because uh, Tassie had a great attack that night too. They had um, Hilfenhaus, Brett Jeeves, who was on fire at the time. I think Brendan Drew, who's who's very good, maybe Xavier Doherty as well, and, and somebody else, Luke Butterworth. So they had a very good attack, and I think 
that was the first time that I believed that I could do it as well. I'd, I mean, batting in the top order in club cricket and representative cricket, when the, maybe the top three or four, I, there wouldn't have been a huge amount of times that I batted right through and and especially in a run chase. All growing up in junior cricket in Colac, you had to retire at 25, early, 50 in under 17. So that was um, that was a learning curve as well. And to get Victoria over the line there, I th- I'm not sure how many haystone I've put on, but it was a, it was a good partnership. Uh, that was that was a, a turning moment for me where where you start to believe that you, you're good enough and you can compete because my, my debut was a debacle. Brad Hogg stitched me up big time. Um, one of the first – it was my Victorian debut, one-day cricket, and he did me beautifully with a wrong and stump gill, Chris Bold Hogg, um, which has been a lot better players than me get done by Brad Hogg as well. So um, it was – yeah, that was a nice night. So there was that. There was then the explosion of T20 cricket through yep. initially playing for Victoria and you had the most amazing team and you just kept winning everything. Yeah. Travelling the world with the Victorian team through that period. When when was it that you became the opening batsman in white ball cricket? Because there was a time where you middle order, yeah. moved to three, and then someone thought, let's put him to, at the top of the order and see how it goes. Can you remember that exact no. moment? No, I can't. I actually got no idea the first time I opened the batting. In T20 cricket, it might have even been Champions League. Yeah, I think it, I think in South Africa maybe in yeah, Champions League. Because we went to Champions League the year before, and I I didn't get a game. I was sitting on the sidelines, um, running running drinks for that tournament, and then next one in South Africa. I must have done it before then. Well, mate, I think you were at three, and then at yeah, some, some point it's like let's let's throw him up the top, and it, I mean whoever did it. Or whoever thought of it, yeah, pretty good idea. It was probably Huss not wanting to go to the top. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I think we played played a South African side first up in that tournament, and we just got done. Um, but I I batted three that game actually, and the first ball I faced was Makai Antini, and I just watched him knock over the best players in the world for years. So I was shitting myself. I'm like, how could I face this bloke? Um, and I got a few runs there. And then I reckon I opened the batting in the next game against Chennai. I'm not. I'm not sure why. I think I got 41 off 17, and then it sort of never stopped from there. Did you have to? Did you change your game, or did everything you did just roll happen naturally and evolve? Well, I think T20 it... was probably suited to my game at that time. T20's developed a huge. Well, yeah. All cricket has, I think. Yeah. But at that time, I think um, opening the batting was the easiest spot, um, and. I think my game was suited to it, to be fair. I, I didn't mind taking them on and, and doing it early. Yeah, well, I, I think it was just suited to it. Yeah. One of your best mates, England Maxwell, the same sort of thing happened a little bit later that all the success you were having in white ball cricket, but you were still craving the red ball stuff. Yep. You still wanted to play shield cricket and succeed in, in shield cricket. But yep. it was harder to do because all the opportunities you were getting internationally yep. um, was happening in the white ball stuff. So can you yep. take us through that? That period, what you were thinking in your mind about wanting to be not so much the pure cricketer, but the red ball cricketer, because that's all you dreamt of. Well, you try too hard. Yeah. So you you try way too hard, and that's that's the one thing that I wish I could go back and tell myself as a twenty one year old is, and the amount of mental energy that I used to use up the day of a game in the nets, having a long hit in the nets, trying to 
trying to look good and feel good to impress Shippy in the nets to then walk out and nick off or get my pad blown off in a shield game and you go, why? Like how's that – How there's no correlation. And I think because I was putting so much pressure on myself to look good or to look like a, a first-class player as opposed to backing my strengths and, and playing to my strengths, that – you do that day after day and then you're just mentally cooked when you walk out in the middle because you're, you're putting so much emphasis on, on your net session whereas that should just be about improving or if you're not feeling good, use a net session to feel good and then get out. Don't overcomplicate things and don't overtrain because it, it, it can be so counterproductive and then you get out into the middle and it's happened a few times in my white ball career as well is you you get out there and you want to do well so badly but you, you, you look at the score and you want – you want 100 or you want 50 to get the selectors, the media off your back but also like so that your teammates almost get around you. So you forget the basics and you, you forget about the process that has made you a pretty good player over time, walking out, marking centre, doing your routine, watching the ball, um, not thinking about where your front pad is and what your back lift's doing or you might have worked on something two weeks ago and all of a sudden that comes into your mind and you're like, hell, where has that come from? All of a sudden you're walking back because you're so focused on on the outcome of runs that you forget about the process and you want it so bad. You, you're so desperate to do well that you just you forget what to do. I want to talk about that a little bit later on, what, what it's like to walk out for Australia yeah. on the MCG as you did as captain or opening the batting and the, the pressure, which I can't imagine what it would be like. So... I mean, Chris Rogers talks about how a cricketer, it's not a linear progression. You have no. your ups and downs. Were there times for Victoria in those early times when you weren't establishing yourself as a shield player where you started to think this is this is not going to happen or were you always determined to make it happen? No, I never doubted it once I started playing. I mean, there's times when you get dropped and you go through rough patches, but at that same time I was also playing really well for Australia. Yeah. So, so it's a really strange dynamic, but I, I think that came – with my – I think I had a two-year rookie contract and then I got a third year. And that third year was really pivotal because I, I hadn't – in them first two years, I hadn't made a lot of club runs. I hadn't made a lot of second 11 runs or anything like that. So I was – again, I, was, I think I was still working out how to be a professional cricketer, how to not just – I guess what I was doing was trying to compete with other people to look good in the nets and that's a dark place to get into because then everything the coach says, you go, okay, yeah, I'll do that because if he's saying it and he's picking the team, if he sees you doing it, you think that that'll get you a game. But it's it's not how the game works. The, the game is about walking as a batter. You walk out and you get as many runs as you can or you do you do whatever you can to put your team in a better position. So when you go away from that and you start trying to impress people with your technique, I've never been somebody who's had a great technique of more hand-eye and that is so counterproductive and I think I, I wasted two really crucial years of my career worrying about that and trying to do that. It's not easy when you've got the fast bowlers that Victoria had as well trying to take your head off in the net. Well, it's not, even about, it's not even about doing it against bowlers. It's about doing it on the bowling machine when Shippy's feeding your balls yeah. and, you're, and you're so worried about impressing him. Yeah. That you forget, you forget about making runs. You want a better technique. So, so what's it going to be? Do you want to make more runs, or do you want a better technique? You, they can come together, 
over time, but they can't come together straight away because you can't change your technique overnight. But I was trying to do that every net session. And and I, I think there was a massive, especially in, in crucial years of your career, 18 to 20, where you can develop so quick. I think I probably just let that get to me a little bit and didn't didn't stick to my own guns, which is tough to do. It's so hard to do when the head coach is saying, I think you need to do this with your back lift or what about this? And you go, yeah, 100% that'll work. So then, then you just get into a bit of a – you're always changing something so you're never getting anything – you're never grooving anything. There, were there any challenges, you know, you talked before about being wider than everyone else, you like to have a smoke, you like to have a drink, you like to have a good time in a professional environment. Were there any challenges there along the way or – yeah, oh, with my weight. Time. Yeah, with my weight there was. It was so so how, does, how do you fix that apart from I shouldn't be asking you that question or maybe you should be giving me advice no, on this. But, I mean, you, how do you – You train harder to be able to do the same <laughs> things that you do, <laughs> that you want to do, um, which is not a great spot either <laughs> because, like, there's – my weight can fluctuate a lot and quickly. So um, there'd be times when you're, you're disciplined and, you, and you're – improved quite a bit when you I think when I started it was beep test and I went to yo-yo then I went to 2k time trial and then you let yourself go for a bit and that was my weakness is is you think oh I've done all this work I'm going to treat myself and then you you treat yourself a little bit too good (laughs) and then it takes a long time for that to kick in again and um did you have outside advice at any point you know mentors or people that would that helped you in that space or is that it was just purely up to you uh, a, a dietitian wasn't with us at the very start of my career, but towards the, I'd say a few years in, there was a dietitian and there's always the advice and you go in there and you nod and you smile and you say, yeah, that's what I'm doing. But um, like I, I was still a young kid at the time trying to, like I was living out of home. I was, I was, thought I was a professional cricketer at the time, but I mean, it was still a young kid still living. Um, and I don't regret that one bit. Like could I have taken it back 10% and trained 10% so you, you, you're always improving? Absolutely I could have. But I was at heart I was, I was, I'm still a country boy who likes having a beer with the boys and, and talking shit really. I, I could sit around and talk cricket all day and that's one of my wife's pet hates is if I get going, if I sit at a pub now that I've moved to Geelong and I've got – some really close mates around and Andrew McDonald's around the corner. When we start talking cricket, she she just runs for the door. She goes, this isn't going to end anytime soon. Wait till your daughter gets a bit old and she'll be running for the door as well. Absolutely. If there's any uh, indication what happens in my house. Um, so the Australian set, you kept talking about moments where you think, yep, I belong. And we talked about yep. that with Victoria against the, the Tasmania that day. Um, you know, there's, we can go on about the record-breaking T20 um, innings for Australia and all that, that sort was, of That thing. was the one in international yeah, cricket. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. Because we can talk about this all day, but the the one game in Southampton. We can actually. I'll, I'll come back after it if you got time. <laughs> um, the whole that Southampton innings yep. it seemed to be the the moment. That was the, that was the penny drop uh, in international cricket again against a really good attack, which I th- I thought I'd played some really good innings for Victoria. Um, actually, I'll go back a step to get to get into the one day side. When Darren Lehman was coach, I got 150, 154, I think, at the Gabba in a one-day game against Queensland, and I was plum LB early. So, so this is these were the days when 
the third umpire could radio down and say, you've given that not out, but we've just seen Hawkeye. It's actually out. So it was the last ball of the over. Ali McDermott nipped one back, hit me on the pad, absolutely plumb. And it was because it was last ball of the over, they went to the ad break. So there was no – they didn't show the third umpire. And by the next over starting, they showed – that showed it was just clipping the top of the stump. So it might not have been overturned anyway. But then I got 150 and I think Bobby Quine and I maybe put on 280 or something at the Gabba. Um, and Darren Lehman I think was coach of uh, Queensland at the time. So to do that in front of him and then him get the Australian job, he saw me play that inning. So he thinks I'm a pretty good player. And I think I got 100 the next game against New South Wales at North Sydney as well. So then he gets the job. In his eyes I'm a good player. So then it starts there. Um, so it's, a, it's some really fortunate yeah. moments. Fortunate good luck, good skill, whatever it might be, combination of everything. Um, but that Southampton one, that was that was the time, I mean, Stuart Broad, Stephen Finn, Jade Dernbach, who was really highly rated in T20 cricket at the time. Um, that was a good attack and to get off to a flyer and just keep going. It was just one of those days that everything hit the middle. Every Everything I thought they were going to do, they did. Sometimes as a batter, might, might happen three or four times in your career. You think they're going to bowl somewhere and they do. Um, I reckon this might be a slow ball. It's a slow ball. Six. Just stuff like that. It was it was just a freak innings. Um, and that was the first time that I thought, right, I can play international cricket. What did you learn from that innings? Apart from it, it, it all just sort of in autopilot, but what did you learn that then made you the player that you would become for the next 10 years for your country? Oh, the, the belief that you walk out to bat with is huge. There's And it's happened, like I said before, my career's had so many ups and downs that, and it's generally my mindset that is there's something holding me back in terms of that there's some kind of doubt and you can do all the planning and preparation, but when you walk out, if there's any doubt in your mind and, and Bhuvaneshwar Kumar is a classic example for me, I could, I could be batting like Don Bradman but then walk out against India some days and I see the first ball swing and I go, oh, no, because he's, he's had my measure over time because he's skiddy. Even his back of the length balls hit the stump. So I'm like, he swings him in, he hits the stumps every ball. That's my absolute worst fear. And he's got a good outswinger as well that he can set me up set me up with as well. So so then before you even walk out, you, you're starting to doubt yourself. You're starting to doubt your game. So then you never get into the right headspace to try and dominate. You're always reacting and... and in a defensive mindset. So that's probably the one thing that I took it out of that innings that I carried through a lot of my career but not all of it because it's, it still creeps back in. But if you walk out with self-belief and and a good game plan and you've done all your preparation, you'll be okay. You, you've shared this story, story with me before which has lived with me ever since about how you can sometimes lie in bed and think of almost play your innings in, in, in bed, mm. in your head about but but what you're going to do well. So you put you fill your mind with good things going yep. out to bat the next day. Yep. I would imagine it would be you could have the bad feelings as well. 100%. But that whole thing of lying in bed, playing for your country the next day and also the added pressure of you got the media saying, you know, he's finished, he's not good, not, not good enough anymore and all these sorts of things. They had a couple of cracks at that, didn't they? <laughs> so how do you take us through that whole that strategy that you tried to put in place there at one point. I think it happened in, in India. Yeah, it was, so it was with Justin Langer. Uh, I played the test matches in Dubai and then Australia. 
in between that we played a three ODI game series against South Africa in Australia. Um, and I didn't understand how much test cricket took it out of you mentally more than anything. Um, then we played some ODIs against India in Australia. ODIs or T20, maybe both. And then went to India. And I got dropped from the after the Boxing Day test 2019. I, yeah, 2018. So then I didn't play 2019. Um, and I was just mentally exhausted from trying so hard in test cricket. And reality was I wasn't good enough to play test cricket over a long period of time. Not like the David Warner, Steve Smith, these guys. They're, they're superstars. I, I wasn't good enough to do that. But I was just mentally cooked. And then I was doubting myself playing India in three test matches and then ODIs here, T20s here, over there. I couldn't escape Bhuvaneshwar Kumar either. So he's, he's in my mind all the time as well. And like I would literally – and so I'm captain of the one-day side, T20 side, and I, I can't get away from – I can't switch off. I'm lying in bed at night. I'm waking up at midnight. I'm waking up at 2 a.m. Like I'm pinging out of bed, like stressing, going, how am, I, how am I possibly getting a run tomorrow? And all that happens is you keep running through your mind things that are going to go wrong. And that is, that's tough because then you wake up tired, you go to the ground mentally exhausted already before you started, you've got to try and captain the side. And I, I've, I feel as though I've always been able to separate the two really well. Um, so you go to the game, game tired, you doubt yourself, you walk out, you fail and you you no shit. Like you've built all this up in your mind. You've, you've, you've convinced yourself this is going to happen. So JL called me to his room uh, and, he, and he just said, look, you're the captain of our World Cup team in 2019, so so park that. that that's that's not an issue. He said, we just got to get you some runs before then, because otherwise there'll be pressure there. So he said, what he used to do, and he and he talked me through what he did, why he did it. So it was basically going through every opposition bowler, writing down their strengths, their weaknesses, your strengths, your weaknesses, if they what their plans are going to be how they're going to try and get you out. So then you, you'd look at that and you go, right, I know Mohammed Chami's going to pitch it up. He'll try and swing it away but can nip it back. So if I keep my leg out of the way, I'm going to look to play him down the ground as much as he can. But if he over pitches, I'm going to be overly aggressive. So then you've got a clear plan. So you've got a solution to his main problem that he's going to pose to you. So then when you go to bed, so you do that for every bowler. Jadeja's going to bowl, try and bowl fast and the top of middle stump try and get me to cut off the stumps. That's that's how he's got me out before and he keeps trying to get me out like that. And I've, I've had some success, so has he. So, right, I'm going to look to play him down the ground a bit more. Again, if he over pitches, I'm going to be overly aggressive, take him aerial, take him on because then he won't pitch up, he won't over pitch again, so then he tr- he, he'll be more defensive, blah, blah, blah. Cricket nuffy stuff, that. Mm-hmm. No, that's and, good. And that's then... Good. But you write out a solution for all your problems. So then your mind goes, right, no need to worry about that because I've seen the problem, I've seen the solution, so my mind can rest. And it was amazing the day that I did that, I went to bed and I slept like a baby that night. And I, the next game was, I think it was in indoor, um, and I reckon I got maybe 30. But I hit I hit a couple of really good shots and I, I, felt, I felt good. I felt like I was... 
I was somewhere back to my best and I was fresh and I was up and about. And then the next game, next game I got 100 and maybe the 100 was in indoor, whatever that was. And I was sort of like, right, there's actually something to this because it allows your mind to switch off. Your, your mind constantly wants to find a solution for problems. But if you're only presenting problems and no solutions, it's just going to keep going in a loop. So present the problem, present the solution, switch off, done. And then we went to Dubai uh, straight after India. And that was that was a great Indian series that we came from 2-0 down. Uh, no team had ever done it. And that's still, besides the two World Cups, that's my proudest moment um, as a player. And then we went to Dubai and I went 100, 100, 90. Should have got 300 in a row. I hit Yassir Shah down long on throat in the Abu Dhabi. Still with about eight overs to go in the game. And this game when you win by like 120 runs or something and you're like, I could have just knocked him around for 100. Anyway, um, so then all of a sudden there's two more games to go. I'll get 30 and 30 and then the World Cup's coming a bit of a break and then the World Cup. So World Cup in England and it was like get there and everyone's saying, oh, now you're a great player, like you're in great form. It's like two weeks ago you want to be dropped, like sacked as captain, dropped. So um, it's amazing how one innings gets – turns everyone around and the I think the the one thing I've always felt as I've had on my side is I've never done enough to piss the public off or the media off I've, I've always had a really good relationship with both so there was never any there was never any like personal we've got to get him out that intense heat yeah, yeah. like it comes when you don't perform but I get that yeah. that that's that's the reality of not doing your job well enough yeah. you don't do your job at a service station you're going to come under heat or, or a council work, whatever it might be. So I understand that. I've never had any issue with people criticising my game or anything because it's reality. You know if you're performing well, you know if you're not. Um, and then to go to England and get a couple of hundreds in that World Cup and felt like I played really well, um, yeah, sort of just everything goes away. You feel good and away you go again. You touched on the, the test experience. So five test matches for Australia and it was under – Unique circumstances mm. because you asked to open the batting, which was never really on the on the agenda. You know, coming through, you were the middle order player, but it was just an opportunity as yeah. much as anything. When you look back on that period, how do you how do you assess it? Because you, you almost did a selfless thing for your country, um, oh, but you're also uh, given a job to do. Yeah, so it was, it's a balance. It was the right decision in the UAE, absolutely, because the conditions are so similar to one day cricket, T Twenty cricket, in terms of low bounce. Mm. Uh, the ball doesn't swing a huge amount. You can – if the ball doesn't swing – the ball swings more in India than it does in Dubai. So uh, you try and take them on a bit more, um, get ahead of the game because then the spin comes on, it becomes a grind. So absolutely the right call there. I think I think I got 60, 30, 30 and not many, something like that. So I think looking back on that, if if I then had have went to the middle order – in Australia, I think I might have had a chance of a bit more success. Uh, if I got dropped after the Indian uh, – sorry, after the Dubai and Abu Dhabi test, I would have been okay with that because it's – you're picking a team for them conditions and then we're coming to Australia, there's guys more equipped. I would have been okay with that. Um, and then I think it was after well, – we're at training the day before the Sydney test 
And JL said, do you want to, do you want to crack at the middle order? And I said, I feel as though that's a bit of a cop out. I said, I would, we started this as an opener. I'm not going to try and hide down in the middle order. And he said, well, if, if that's the case, I don't think we can pick you. I said, I, I understand that. That's fine. Um, obviously you're devastated, but at the same time it was the right call. And No temptation to say, yeah, okay, I'll oh, give it a go? Or was oh, it just, a slight, it's team first, isn't it, really? A slight temptation, but I, th- but I also think that's a, that's a little bit of a cop-out. That, that would have been an easy thing to do for a purely selfish reason is to go, I want to make runs, so I'm going to try and hide down the order a little bit away from Boomerang and Ishant Sharma with the new ball. So, yeah, I'll do that, thanks. So I, I felt as though I, I started that series as an opener and if, if going forward, if I'd played a bit of test cricket behind me and if going forward Warner and... Bancroft, so we're coming back into the side in the next series. And I said, well, you're going to bat in the middle order in the next series, so let's just do it now. I would have said, okay. But that wasn't the case. So it was, it was purely, um, yeah, I've got no regrets with that decision because I think it was the right decision. I think it was my, my, my decision was the right call to say, no, I'm not going to hide in the middle order after opening for three tests or f- five tests. But and their call was 100% right by saying, well, we can't pick you. And uh, I can't remember who opened that test. Is there an element of what if that middle order test player or it's like... Oh, of course. But it, that would have been earlier in my career. Yeah. I think there was a time when I, I wasn't far away. I think there was some talk. Well, this is what Buff told me anyway. He said there was some talk about myself or Joe Burns coming in as a replacement um, for a Boxing Day test. Um, Burns had just got 180 and 150 or something. I can't remember if he played or not, but um, that was sort of a bit of a toss-up. I'd been playing really well in one-day cricket and they went with Burnsy, which is, again, the right call to make. So I think at that time if it had have happened, it might have been slightly different, but I've got no regrets about it at all. I mean, I I played five more tests than I thought I was when I was in my early 30s on on some unfortunate stuff that happened to other guys so um no 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 regrets on that i want to ask you about that world cup at home yeah going out to bat for australia against england at the mcg you're a victorian yeah you're playing at the mcg you're walking out to bat my first question is what is that feeling like packed mcg australia england i'll give you i'll give you the i'll go back eight months because david saker was a coach a bowling coach of england at the time I was playing county cricket for Yorkshire. There was a test match at Leeds. So after day one, I've been at the cricket and had a few beers and went and caught up with Sakes for a few beers after day one of they played Sri Lanka. After day one, England were in a good position and I think they just bowled Sri Lanka out. So we've had a few beers uh, with Mike Selvey, the, the journalist as well. Anyway, he's gone home. Sakes and I have gone to another pub and Jimmy Anderson, Stuart Broad are there just having a quiet pint and I'm, I've had a few at this stage and so Sakes. And Sakes, he said something. I said, Jimmy Anderson, give me a spell. One day cricket is no chance. I'll smack him everywhere. So anyway, move forward to we played a try series uh, and I know Jimmy would have remembered that or Sakes would have reminded him leading into the – we played South Africa and England in a try series. We made the final against England in Perth. 
Jimmy nicks me off for a duck in the final. I think Maxie got 97 or something, smacked them. Um, so I'm walking out at the MCG. I'm stressing this whole time. Like I'm pissed one night and, and said I'm going to smack Jimmy Anderson everywhere. And then um, I'm walking out at the MCG, time to front up. And, and it's the same thing. You watch these guys bowl in test cricket for so long and you watch them swing it both ways, miles and knock over the best players, some of the best players ever. And you think, hey, how can I how can I deal with this? And you bowl when I'm a pads first up and I I'm a horrific player off my pads at the best of times. And Chris Wokes spilt one luckily. And then I was away after that. I, I felt like I played really well. Um, but the feeling walking out is is unbelievable. Anytime at the MCG when you play for Australia, because you know that it's as a Victorian, you've got a hundred percent support of the crowd, which is rare. Anywhere you play, uh, but the MCG is a special place. So to have that is, and especially open the batting, I think, as well, when you walk out in Mark Centre on a fresh wicket at the MCG, you look around and especially that World Cup game, there was 88,000 people there. Um, that was extraordinary. Can you soak it in or are you so in the moment or that yeah. you can't afford to, to soak it in and, you know, think back to your... A young boy from Colac looking up and going, all these people are here and they're watching me play the millions on television. It's a World Cup. Do you, or does that take you away from what no, you're talking you, about before? No, you do. And you sort of – you look around when you're at the non-strikers end a little bit more. Um, you've got a bit more time to clear your mind. But I got 100 against England at the MCG another time. Uh, it must have been 2014, I reckon. And I was batting with Michael Clark and he's – I sort of, I think I knocked it in the leg side for two and quick celebration went to put me and he's like, no, no, hold on, take your time, soak it in. It's not every day you make 100 on your home ground. So take your time, make sure you relish this opportunity in this moment. So you, you never take it for granted. Um, playing for Australia, playing at the MCG, performing well, you, you never take any of that for granted. Because the unfortunate reality is, that not many Victorians in recent years have mm. done well. So sort of that, that pressure as well is you're the man for us, for our Vic, the Victorian supporters. That's a, yeah. an extra layer. Um, yeah, I don't feel – you don't feel any more pressure yeah. than that. I mean you walk out and you do your routine and you're, you're so focused but it's a place where because you drive to the ground. Well, I do anyway. I drive to the ground, um, which never happens anywhere else. You're either in a – minibus or you're in a coach or um, you're in a car that somebody else is driving but to drive into the MCG and the same guy at the front gate you say g'day and um, they still search your car and um, park I try and park in the same spot all the time so I always get to ground so early even for like a big bash game I'm there three hours early and internationals especially a Melbourne game because I I can decide when I get there I'm so early so I always get the same car park and that's just a you turn up there and it's a, a great, great feeling. I've got the same locker that I have when I play for Victoria. Um, it's just familiar. It, it feels like home when you walk out there and then you walk walk on the grass and it's like it's next level. Your, your favourite moment when you look back at your, your international career, your first-class career, is there one that stands out? There's the obvious about captaining a, a T20 World Cup to Vic for victory, but yeah. is there one moment that sticks out above all else? Oh, the, the two World Cups are by far and away above. Um, 
the series win in India, like I said before, that is that's one of my proudest moments in the game because no one's ever beaten India when they've been two 0 down. Um, we had a side without Warner and Smith at that stage. Ashton Turner um, and Pete Hanscom had a great um, great partnership in Mahali where I think we chased three seventy. Um, to get back into the series. That was the third game. We played really well in the next one. Then in Delhi, we won the toss on a horrific wicket and got 260 or something and that was always going to be way too many even for a great Indian side. So looking back, that's that's a series that I'm so proud of, how we stayed in the contest, kept fighting, even though like literally history is against you. Um so that, that's right up there. Um, I think playing there was a there was a big bash game at the MCG. Myself and Hodgie put on, I think, one hundred and fifty-seven against Tassie. Uh, I think it was Tassie. It was Victoria versus Tassie. Um, and that's something that again in the T Twenty space that that was when I realised that I was a pretty good player as well. And, the day that I realised, so I used to take first ball um, batting with Hodgie. So the day, because my theory was if they bowl a Jaffa first up, it's better for the team if I get out first up than Hodgie. It's usually you take it because it's, it's a loosener. No, I hate taking the first ball. <laughs> so the day that I knew that I was, I was becoming a pretty good player was Hodgie said, I've, I've got first ball. I said, no, no, I'll, I'll take it. He said, no, no, if they bowl a Jaffa, Better for the side if I get out than you. Said that, that's pretty high praise from Hodgie. So, and he didn't in those days. He didn't dish out praise all that all that easily. So, um, again, that that's the small things that that just tick in your mind, and they it's almost like something clicks, and you go, "Geez, if Hodgie thinks I'm a pretty good player, then I'm going okay." And and things start to start to move on. But oh, there's there's so many things that have happened along the journey that. Of like, it's like my first series winners playing one day cricket for Australia in England. We beat them in the last game in Southampton. Um, Shield final, like things like that. The the one day final that we won for Victoria after like seven or eight losses in one day finals. Um, that's when it was the split innings yeah. game. Um, Andrew McDonald was captain. Hodgie, we we had a rule because he could play twelve at that stage. Yeah. We had a rule that if Hodgie was not out at the at the break, he didn't have to field. So th- I think that was a year he got five hundreds or something because yeah. he didn't want to field. Um, so it was amazing that, and we went th- and I think we had we had Tassie like six for forty at the break in that in that game. Um, so small things like that that are that at the time are the biggest accomplishment of your career. Um, and to be able to continue through and tick off like a World Cup and then another Shield and then another World Cup and things like that, it's, it's, all, it's all pretty special. The question I ask everyone we've had on is what Victorian cricket means to you because it's the foundation for all of you yeah. coming through to hopefully go on and play for Australia. So is there, what, what does it mean to you? Oh, it means so much because it's coming into a team at the time that was dysfunctional but so good and so dominating in, in T20 cricket, 
we dominated one day cricket but couldn't get across the line in a few finals and then shield cricket we were always in the either the top two or winning the shield or like we're there and thereabouts for so long i think all bar one year we dropped down to the bottom of the table for a season but that was like to be a part of a a successful environment is is so important and it's not about it's not about how good the players are it's how good the place is um i mean we had shippy as the head coach he was he's not called the master for nothing he's he was a huge influence on my career from from when i was 16 um huge uh, and it's not until you get a little bit older and you sit down and have a beer with him after a big bash game or something and and you talk about the old times and you and you realize how special they were um Graffy, it was huge on my career. Um, it was hard on me, very hard on me for a long time. But but with great intentions and great intent, um, and like we said earlier, I was I was a young youngster having fun in the city. Uh, but it was hard on me, but fair. Uh, Simon Helmet had a huge impact in in the early days as well, th- right through the VIS and and stuff like that. So like. It's it's been the foundation for my career, absolutely. And and like you you meet people, you make friends, you you live in each other's pocket for like the state system goes for ten months. And and I I haven't been a part of the day in day out of the grind of Shield cricket or Victorian cricket for for a little while because of um, international stuff. But it's that's it, it's where you learn your most. You you, you learn a lot playing international cricket but you learn the most and you learn quickest in your state system because that's where they're, they're your years when you're most impressionable as as you're coming in you're still developing physically mentally as a player so like the upside is so huge um yeah it, it means so much and it, it's i wish i'd been around more with the with the guys over the last couple of years but also glad that i haven't been because it means i've been playing for australia as well so it's a bit of a double-edged sword last question can you believe that the the boy from colac has had this career because you're now at the other end of it looking back mm. you're still going to play for the renegades you're still going to play some other bits and pieces but you're looking back now and you're thinking all these stories you've just shared with me that the the, the little boy from colac playing under 17s as a as a 10 year old mm. of what you've been able to do Oh no! I mean, you dream of doing it, but you've lived your dream. Yeah, and the thing of growing up in the country as well is that you—it seems even further away than what it is if you live in the city. Like I remember going to uh, tryouts, and the kids in the city were so much better. Well, I thought that they were—they had all the gear, all the gear. No idea, they say, don't they? Um, so the jokes on them. At the end of the day, I, I was—I was borrowing kit and stuff like that. But I mean, it's. It's, it's been, yeah, I actually can't believe it sometimes. And when when I go back and look at some old shirts, I, I've tried to keep a shirt from every series. Um, I don't have one from every team that I've played for because there's, there's a couple that I've missed, but I've, I've tried to collect a couple of opposition shirts over the years as well. And, and you look at that, you look at some old memorabilia, um, you, you sit down over a beer with guys and you talk about like, oh, what about when this happened in this game? And you and you think, I literally got to live my dream. I tra- travelled the world 
saw some things that, that there is no way in the world I would have seen otherwise. Um, like driving through the streets of Old Delhi um, in a tuk-tuk, like with as a, as an Australian cricketer without without getting recognised is almost impossible. But to be able to do it and have so much fun, like it's cool. Um, going to going to a really underprivileged school in Zimbabwe. Um, that was one of the best things I've ever done in my life, outside of outside of playing cricket. That that was one of the most amazing things ever. Like I've been to Zimbabwe like five times. Like I would, there's no way in the world I would have went to Zimbabwe otherwise. And it's an amazing place. Um, some of the things you get to see, the Caribbean, like it's just so cool. I've been very very lucky and. A bit of bit of skill and a lot of hard work goes into it as well, but um, no, I've been very grateful for for my career. Well, congratulations! I know all Victorian cricket fans are, are proud of you, and the one thing I think that stands out is you you're a relatable cricket star to all of us. And um, as I said we're all proud of you, and um, hopefully you're not lost to Victorian cricket because I think you've got a lot to offer into the future. Thank you, mate. Cheers. And uh, I was nervous about doing this because oh, yeah? there's Why? so much I wanted to talk Let's, to you. Well, about. we'll do it again. Um, there's a few bits and pieces we missed, but yeah, it's been awesome. So Cheers. I really appreciate it. Thanks, I'm mate. sure the, the listeners do as well.